The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our very special guest today is Robbie Hunter, President of the Building and Construction Trades Council of California. Did I say that right? Yeah, you said it right. Close so. enough, right? Yeah, and uh, good morning to you. <laughs> welcome to the State Building Trades. Thank you very much. Um, a couple of reasons we want to talk to you. One reason is St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Tim pointed that out just a few days ago. We thought we got to talk to Robbie Hunter. Your Irish background is well known. So... What do you have to say about St. Patrick's Day in California? Do people even uh, observe it? Well, Other um, than the Irish? I think <laughs> it was way more observed more here uh, in America than it really was in Ireland, especially in, in Belfast where I lived. Um, pretty much if you were Irish Catholic there in Belfast, uh, when I grew up, you had to keep your head down. So there was no yeah. big, big, big parade in Belfast for St. Patrick's Day, but we did used to watch it on the television in New York. And, uh, and through the years, it's gotten really big over there now, and, and it's gotten really big over there, as a matter of fact. But we've been really following the lead of the Irish in New York, who decided when they got to America, they'd be proud of being Irish instead of being yep. under somebody's boots in the famine. And they would wear green uh, because, you know, at one time it was banned as a sign of rebellion in Ireland. So they marched down the middle of the boulevard, built the tallest churches, and... Um, and beat the table and, and said they were proud to be Irish. You know, I was down in San Diego for years and they didn't, they didn't celebrate anything about, about St. Patrick's Day. When I went to work in San Francisco, it was a big deal. St. Pat's in San Francisco was then, I don't know about now, but yeah. it was a big holiday then and a lot of people, a lot of people observe it. There were a lot, there was a big Irish community there, there was a big Italian community too, but I mean, there, was, there were ethnic communities in San Francisco that had their holidays, and St. Pat's was a big deal there. Yeah, well, you know, the Irish, um, you know, when, when San Francisco was booming, and even from the gold rush uh, on, uh, it was a time of mass immigration for the Irish to America. Yeah. We were a big part of the workforce of coming across the continent with the railroad. And, and, of course, uh, uh, the Chinese immigrant was the same thing. Yeah. And, and they worked a lot from the Rockies uh, this way in and, and, and composite with the Irish. And um, so we all ended up on the West Coast together. And, um, you know, San Francisco has been a town that, that, uh, that's had deep Irish roots for, from really from its birth. I mean, uh, I can tell you a story about an Irishman that landed in New York City in around the eight, late uh, 1870s, early 1880s, uh, uh, Patrick McCarthy was born on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. He landed uh, in New York uh, City in his bare feet, and he wow. actually walked to the Erie Canal in the winter and slapping hedges and uh, went to work in construction, worked his way across the country, joined the Knights of Labor, which was an early uh, labor organization before unions were really foothold, and uh, played a big role in Chicago, worked his way to San Francisco, and actually founded the, the Carpenters Union in San Francisco. He led a couple of strikes in which he opened up lumber mills f- with, for the union. 
In other words, we'll bypass them, we'll have the mills and we'll have the workers and we'll work for ourselves. And that led to a settlement with the mill owners on what a carpenter get paid per day. He went on to form the build, the first building trades in California in San Francisco. There's a book, uh, Building Trades uh, in the Enlightened Years about San Francisco that w- was written around him. And, uh, and that's anyway, the same organization now. Oh, it's the exact same organization now. The same building trades that are in San Francisco today was the ones that Patrick McCarthy uh, uh, formed. Yeah. Uh, and at a certain point, uh, he looked over it's Sacramento and he said that's where they write the rules and when other people write the rules and the laws that we have to work under uh, we don't do well we're going over there to write some rules ourselves and when he got to uh, Sacramento and formed the state building trades and held the job that I hold today uh, he held it for 20 years when he got here there was only one other group here and that was the railroad and the governor was the president of the railroad, so it was a pretty, pretty closed shop. And yeah. he pushed his way in as the first real labor organization. He also went on to be the mayor of San Francisco. So that's really? pretty good for a guy that landed in his yeah. bare feet in New York with nothing but his hands. So, well, so you're right. San Francisco has a great yeah. depth of, of Irish history. Well, um, you also mentioned just before we were on the podcast here. You mentioned uh, John Quinn. Your great-granddad. Yeah, my, my, my grandmother's father, uh, John Quinn, um, you know, he'd been a, he was a sailor and a rigger on ships. And when they started going up with buildings like high-rises, they needed people that knew how to rig loads and pick them and swing them and, and deliver them to a certain point and understood. Uh, uh, so a lot of people came off ships that they have these things on a ship called a derrick. Because there used to be the crew unloaded the ship. They'd pull in and they would swing all the cargo out of the hole. And they had a terminology. You had to feed the hungry hook. In other words, the hook that was on the end of the line, as soon as it came in front of you, you had to strap whatever you had right to it and jump back and it yeah. disappeared and yeah. swung around and hit the docks. And you had to unhook it immediately and swing it back as fast as you could. And that's how they unloaded ships. So the same thing worked. I mean, I'm an iron worker. On a skyscraper is the same thing. When that hook comes down and stops in front of you, that big steel girder, you gotta be ready to hook it on and jump back and it disappears up into the sky. So he actually ended up being a steeplejack because there was a demand for people that could rig and lift loads. And a steeplejack today is still what they refer to as iron workers over there. Because if you were, it used to be the tallest thing around was a church steeple. So okay. they still refer to people wow. who work up high as a steeplejack. Even though you don't get afraid of heights. There was a photo of you, I think, in your office here. You're sitting on a girder, you way up. Yeah, no, I'm on, I'm on a derrick, uh, uh, building it up. And we're on the 30 Library Tower in LA, which is a 79-story building. We're on the, th- I think we're on the 37th floor in that picture. But we went another 40 floors. And, um, I get nervous even looking at that stuff, you know? That's okay. I get, I get nervous that happened to uh, to some of the stuff you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, before um, that I think it was John Quinn had worked on the Titanic. Yeah, John, John Quinn, uh, you know, we lived in Sealerton. You know, pretty tough because all the bar, every corner had a bar because all the sealers would come in, and, but the shipyard workers were the steel workers 
were all in there as well. And, and all around us, there was mills, you know, uh, uh, flax mills where there was thousands of women working. They're still there today, big old brick factories all been turned into condos and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, back then, uh, people were working 18 hours a day and they oh. worked you 12 hours on a Sunday. And you lined up in the street corner and you bid for a job or you were picked out uh, you, 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 and you go over there and unload that ship. Kind of like and on it, the waterfront. Yeah, right on the waterfront. But it was the same on construction sites. You lined up every morning and the boss walked up, looked you up and down, looked at you, put your tools in front of you on a rag, and the boss would look at it and uh, decide who he wanted. And then he deliberately bypassed people sometimes, knowing they had a big family because they wanted to make people desperate. And then at the end of the day, you would go to a bar that was usually owned by the company and they would pay you in the bar and they would cheat you on what they agreed to pay for the eight, even though they, you had to bid the lowest price to get the job. Yeah. Then they would cheat you on what they paid you and you had to buy the guy and his buddies their drinks. And what their real goal was to keep you in the bar to drink the money. And, and it worked. It made alcoholics out of workers and large families back then. And, the man would go home without the money that they worked for, and it was creating alcoholism, it was creating hunger and desperation among their families, and it was a machine that workers were getting fed into, yeah. whether it be longshoremen unloading ships or construction workers and, and others that were hired like that. And, you know, he had, read, he had written a, a, a Scottish, um, per, a Scottish uh, trade unionist that he'd heard of, he read him a letter uh, somewhere in the 1890s and he asked him to come to Belfast to help them because they had tried to organize numerous times and they, they just couldn't get it done. I mean, what really happened was in Ireland, uh, the bosses and, you know, and, the, and the British could use force against the Irish workforce that they couldn't use against the English workforce. So the English workforce was unionizing at a big rate so two organizers came to Ireland. One of them was a guy called James Larkin, and the other one was a guy that my great-grandfather wrote to, which was James Connolly. And they came to Belfast, and in 1907, they organized a general strike. It was more Larkin than Connolly at that point. But I grew up with my grandfather pointing at the old sofa I was sitting on and said, James Connolly used to sleep on that sofa. Wow. And Jim Larkin used to be you know, in the, in the other room, and. And, uh, and I used to sit as a kid and go, oh, God, I'm going to hear this again for the hundredth time. But if I looked like I was paying attention, he'd give me a quarter or 50 cents at the end of it, and I'd go skipping down the street. So to you, buy, got, like, to union, you got unions in your uh, DNA, right? Well, I mean, everything in Sailor Town, all the mills and everything, well, uh, trade unionism over there was like a religion no. because they had had it so hard and so tough that when they finally got a voice, they hung on yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah like it was it was their life's blood because in the 1907 strike uh, they they lost the strike but in the minutes of the meeting uh when they ended the strike they they had to cave in to the owners it says we end the strike because of starvation hmm. well tell me about the titanic what was the connection between john well, and the titanic that was 1907 john quinn was forced out of working in the docks he was blackballed because of his union activity and so he went to work in the shipyard. Um, he was getting older and going to sea. He had been going to sea and back and forth because originally he was a seaman. That's where he learned his trade to be a rigger and then become a steeplejack. But he went to 
to work in the shipyard, but he couldn't work on the ships because they had sectarian segregation and they, there was no Catholics allowed to belong to the uh, Shipbuilders Union. Wow. So he, what he did was he built the cranes, the gantry cranes, that built the Titanic. Uh, in other words, it was a f big massive framework that was built up over the slipway because there was two ships, uh, the Titanic, and I think the other one was the Britannic. And, uh, and, uh, and I think I'm actually maybe wrong on that one. I, I, I had the other name, but I've been told it both ways. So, and uh, the lane that we lived in, Dock Lane, at the bottom was where the shipyards were, and he went in there and he worked and he built the gantry cranes that were used to build the Titanic. But uh, when the ship was finished, they took on a crew there, but they also, there was a lot of shipyard workers still working on the ship as it was put to sea. And uh, he was a part of the crew that delivered the, the ship to Southampton, which was going to be the white, the, the, the port for the uh, home port for the White Star Line, built a whole new dock just for these, this ship. And uh, so he delivered it, but there was a lot of maids and other people that were recruited there and many of the sealers, husband and wife, and the grandparents took care of the kids because this, there was this great job on this great ship on tough times. So when they, a lot of them around there, when I was a kid, there was a plaque on the wall of Pym Street School, old, you know, old stone school, and it said it was dedicated to the hundred children that lost one or both parents on the Titanic. Oh, wow. A lot of the workers that were on there, and you know, the, 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 the guys who were shoveling the coal in the boilers stayed there to the last minute and went down with the ship. No, none of them made it off. Uh, of, the, of the guys below deck, they stayed to keep the pumps going and keep the electric on, shoveling coal right till it went down. Wow. So, I mean, there was a lot of heroism, just like 9-11, all those firefighters charged in there when everybody was going the other way. You know, workers look around and say, I'm going to do everything I can do to help. Was John yeah. on the boat? No, John, and I have a document right here. Uh, John did what he always did, he spoke for unions. And on their way on, he organized all, uh, he was hired as a fireman in uh, April of uh, 1912. And here's a document here, particulars of engagement with John Quinn's name with an axe beside it. And um, so when they were working their way around, he organized all the, the guys around him into the Irish Transport General Workers Union. And when they got to Southampton, there was a coal strike and it was a train full of coal uh, that was done with uh, scab workers and loaded. And they refused to load it in the ship. So they brought another ship up from the White Star Line and they took the coal from that ship into the Titanic. Of course, once they had it all done, they fired them all. And that's the other document here is discharge. Uh, from the Titanic at the White Star Line. So you got troublemakers in your family go way back, right? Yeah, yeah, and then for some reason they all seem to be short by nature, <laughs> uh, by stature, so Does yeah. that mean, wait, yeah. so he gets fired, so he didn't take the He trip. got fired and all of the other guys get fired. Uh, uh, the, uh, there's an ax by everybody's name that was on the crew as a, um, and got discharged because of their uh, and they basically got put off the last place. No, they before. got yeah, they got uh, they sealed from there. They kept because you know the rules of of, of uh, the sea was if you had a sealer and you took them on in England, 
and you went all or, uh, all the way to Australia and you discharged them in Australia, you either had to give them script to get home or keep them on the ship oh, okay. until you got back there and put them off. And uh, so what happened was they kept them on, even though they discharged them in Southampton, they went round to one of the French ports, took on German immigrants because it was a massive German uh, immigrants and you know he had four classes of passenger and it left there and went around the southern coast of England and stopped off the port of uh, Queen's Bay which I think is called Cork today and they took on Irish immigrants but they had to bring tender small boats out to load the Irish immigrants on uh, because the Titanic was too big to go into the harbor and at that point is when they put John Quinn and the other 18 or 19 men off, and that's what the document reflects. And they would have, so they would have been on the boat when it hit the iceberg, basically. They they, yeah, basically, yeah, here's the discharge paper right here. And you can see... Uh, so are you here John because Quinn. he got put off the boat? I mean, if well, he had died... I, I, I wouldn't say that. I say uh, I, might, I would probably still be here, but I'd probably be a bit taller and, <laughs> and other things... Uh, it's interesting, these documents, everything is handwritten. There's no typing, no nothing. Yeah. It's all, well, everything is... That's the way, they, that's the way yeah. it was yeah. back there. There's a particular engagement, there's a discharge in Southampton, and all the axes by the names of the guys. Anyway, this, is, this was family law, I would hear it. Sure, yeah. Of course, <laughs> people telling the story would tell it different ways and, and, and use different things. So I've, I've learned over the years that uh, some of the details were not exactly right, but these documents reflect... Yeah. what I just told you. Well, what kind of challenges, coming up to date then, what kind of challenges you see, uh, uh, not only for you guys, but for labor in California, as you look at 2020, what are the, what are the big things we should be watching there? Well, you know, I got to tell you, you know, there's a million things that are, that are tough in California, housing, uh, but the basic problem for most working people is wages. And low wages. I mean, we used to have Boeing that was here in California that employed, you know, with all the subcontractors and and, and the companies that fed the, the components to them. There were a couple of hundred thousand people that were all good wages. Boeing's still making planes, but they're doing it up in Washington State. Uh, Ford's plants closed down here and they moved back. Um, they were in Southgate. They were in Pico Rivera. Uh, Chevrolet closed plants down in Burbank and down there. Uh, Lockheed moved on with their aerospace, uh, most of their equipment. McDonnell Douglas, who invested in a big brand new uh, plant in Long Beach Airport, and I worked on the hangars there, and I worked in the hangars up in Lancaster and Palmdale, where they built, uh, where, where Boeing moved to, and they only stayed a couple of years, uh, and they were supposed to be there right at that big airport, uh, but they, they moved out of state and um, and uh, McDonnell Douglas didn't go away. They're in North Carolina. And um, so a lot of good blue-collar uh, jobs that drove the economy and give working-class kids that aren't going to go to college uh, an opportunity to be in the middle class and buy a home and, and have health coverage and a retirement. A lot of those jobs have left or gone or disappeared. So working people, you know, the building trades is one of the last bastion of blue collar workers that, that are in the middle class that are earning enough money that if their husband and wife works and they're very frugal, they might be able to buy a little house in their own community and, and have a family. So that's facing the American workers across the board in California. 
any chance of recouping those? Any chance these companies coming back? Is there any way we can entice them back? You know, I, I, that's a that's a great question. I, you know, I know Governor Newsom is is driving. I mean, we still we still. I mean, I, I lament these jobs, but you know, we've still got the entertainment industry that we almost lost. And Governor Brown and Ayatsi, the entertainment unions, and us, the building trades, who do all the work in these these studios, um, we worked together to get tax incentives passed here at the Capitol, which was an uphill fight, but it's brought brought back the industry that was on the death's doorstep to a massive point. I mean, we've been building new uh, hangars down there for sign stages. We just built Harry Potter, which was $2 billion uh, with you know, oh. tens of thousands of workers down there, a couple of billion dollars, and, and they're booming and production is back. So we can do things to, to attack jobs and bring work back here. I mean, I don't know the answer to, to you every, every issue, but, um, you know, it's just an example that we can do things to keep good jobs here and well, make them thrive. No, the tech industry is obviously where everything's thriving. Is there a place for blue-collar jobs in the tech industry? Well, or is that- thank you for bringing that up. That kind of slipped my mind. Uh, no, we're working. We're doing the, uh, a big Apple, the Apple campus, and you know, uh, you know many many of the people that have, have been the, I would call them the geniuses of all these various industry. Facebook, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is a young man who's got a tremendous social conscience, and you know, we do what we do with Facebook, and they they say, look, we want to build everything paying fair workers. We want kids to get training. We want to use your apprentices. We want fair wages, and they have engaged with us at a level that's incredible. And and you know, I got to tell you, a lot of it is is the benevolent and kindness of the of the people that lead the industry. It's not, you know, we are the major workforce. I mean, if you're going to build a skyscraper, the only companies around are union ones that can do it in California. But that's not it. Uh, Apple leadership, uh, Google's leadership, uh, Facebook's leadership, they all have a a desire to do the right thing. And I can tell you because I've sat with them all and it's not a hard sell. They, they sit down and how are we going to do this together? And they lay it out. We want to build housing for people. We don't want this place. We want to be a part of the answer. And I got to tell you, it's like tremendous when you're sitting with people like that that have control of it all and a massive amount of wealth. And they're saying, we want to do the right thing with this. So, you know, the new industries, the pharmaceutical industry, is identical to it. They um, they drive, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the, the dog patch in San Francisco, starting at the bridge all the way to the airport. They build massive facilities where manufacturing, research, and and you know some of these buildings are two billion dollars, and we're doing them with kids from the Bay Area, with Chinese immigrants, with with you know the Irish that used to live up in the avenues. You know, the, you know, unless you're unless you're in your grandparents' house, you ain't there no more because we've been all blue collar workers have been driven out. You know, we're putting kids from Oakland into the apprenticeship from tough neighborhoods, and great things are happening in partnerships with you know people like the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, so you know, we're doing. There's still people out there that that believe in California and want to do the right thing and are being very successful in their core industries and they're taking us with them. Do you think? Uh if there is a change in federal administrations um, this November. I mean, if Trump gets dumped and we have another president coming, we have a Democratic president, does that make a big difference for the building construction trades in California? Does it 
Is there an impact? Yeah, no, there's, there's, uh, there's no doubt about that, that, um, you know, the Democrats are more friendly to union and workers' issues. Yeah. And I, I think it, uh, yeah, I think it would be a, a benefit. I mean, we see a lot of regulation getting put in uh, in the Department of Labor that are not friendly to, to workers and certainly not friendly to unions. So uh, I do believe that would be an improvement. Okay. Robbie Hunter, thank you very much. We'll end on a positive note as your dog barks at everybody coming into your office here. And uh, thanks again. Hey, John, thanks a million. And Wait, thanks. I'm not supposed to shake hands. I oh, should yeah, have yeah, that. Oh, no, that. John, you're on we quarantine got, now. Yeah, so, yeah but uh, thanks, John. Um, what we love about Cal Matters and your cells. Uh, we like Cal Matters, too. I know. No, uh, uh, look, uh, the press is the core of everything. Um, when somebody tries to shut down a society, they, they go after a list of things. The first is the press. Pretty much the second is organized labor. And uh, so <laughs> we're we, we've got a lot of things to do together. They get you, they get me. Yeah, so there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm supporting you. <laughs> so okay, well, good. thanks very much. Thanks, thanks so much, Robbie. Thank, Thank you. you.